All right, this lecture is called Gender and Personal Identity, and I have put a few statements on the board that I want to try to evaluate with you. Uh, the first one on the board uh, picks up where we left off last time, right? Uh, we actually have already done a little bit of evaluating that statement, and uh, some of the hidden presuppositions in that first statement are going to inform us in uh, our evaluating our culture uh, in this area of gender uh, and personal identity. Someone who says, I am gay and God made me that way, uh, is someone who's claiming that what we call today same-sex attraction is basic to their identity. It's basic to who they are. Uh, someone who speaks this way is talking about homosexual desire as a, essentially an amoral thing. It's not bad. It's not better uh, than heterosexual desire. It's just a thing. It's just, it's just part of the way things are. And the only question someone could say this and still have... Uh, a range of opinion about homosexual conduct. So I just wanted to circle back around to our subject of last week, uh, subject of homosexuality, and uh, alert you to the fact that within the church, as we grapple with this phenomenon of uh, homosexuality becoming a mainstream, societally approved reality, uh, the church has been all over the map, splattered <laughs> in their thinking across the map. Uh, there are some, as I talked about last week, in the church who've said, you know what, the things that the scripture says about this are either wrongly interpreted, we have a new interpretation for them, or they're just irrelevant. We don't need to pay attention to those parts of the Bible. And so there are some in the church who are saying same-sex attraction, same-sex marriage, all good. All right. Uh, so, by the way, this is what is leading in the last 10 years or so to some major breakups within mainline Protestant denominations in America. Are you aware of this? All right. Uh, just recently, the Methodist Church went through a breakup over this issue. Christians who say homosexuality is A-OK, -okay, and those who say, I don't think so. Uh, you also need to know that there are uh, another set of uh, professing Christians grappling with this issue of homosexuality who've come to this kind of position. Yeah, the Bible makes clear that homosex or homosexual activity is immoral. We, we see that. We recognize that. It's hard to get around that. All those passages we looked at last week. But this same uh, class uh, or um, uh, group of Christians would say, we cannot say that same-sex desire is sinful. Isn't that lust, mm. which is immoral? All right, you've hastened to the critique, Sullivan. Um, yeah, I, I do think that's uh, spot on. But let me finish what they're saying. Uh, they would say, you know what? Homosexual desire or same-sex attraction is involuntary. Most people, practically all people, who claim same-sex attraction would say... I didn't choose this. It, cho it chose me. Something that developed in my subconsciousness, like all the other things that uh, becoming a young man or young woman that involves. I didn't choose it, and so therefore it can't be sin. Did you hear that? Uh, this just the way that I am. So some people would say, I'm gay and God made me that way. Uh, they would be saying, I don't think that I can practice uh, homosexuality, but don't guilt me for planning to live the rest of my life as a gay man on the inside. Surrender to the fact that I'm going to find men, not women, sexually attractive to me. Now that's a very uh, common position within even conservative, relatively conservative denominations. It's, you can see how it, 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 it seems like a strong line against homosexuality because they're saying no, no same-sex marriage, 
and no homosexual activity. You see that? But they're arguing that we need to recognize that some people are just born gay. Uh, and if you like chocolate more than vanilla, that's not an issue. Gluttony is the issue. If you like men more than women, and you're a guy, that's not an issue. It's what you do about it that's the issue. Now, uh, guys, uh, the traditional, I would say the historic Christian view, is as Sullivan rushed to share. Actually, I appreciate this. You read my notes, Sullivan. The desire for something sinful is sinful. Remember I gave you some unpleasant examples yesterday? Not yesterday, last Friday. Not yesterday. I wasn't here yesterday. Um, a man who says, I just find other men sexually attractive is testifying to something that's broken and that, yes, is sinful about his nature. And we don't say that that's a person that has, in, in some way, he's the only kind of person who deals with sins of nature. Guys, we all do. We all do. We all have sins that are our particular besetting sins, yes? We all have sins which make us, we desire things that are sinful, and other people say we don't desire those things. Uh, so just as we could not ever say that just because a man finds himself sexually attracted to small children, as long as he doesn't act on that, he's fine. We would never say that, right? We'd say, no, man, that's something that God's grace can change. You need to repent of not just specific acts, but you re repent of the way your heart is towards certain things. And then seek through that grace of God given in the gospel to change. Uh, there is uh, a great deal that's going wrong in the thinking of someone who says, oh, I am gay. That is who I am. That's the transition to the subject that I'm going to be talking about today, gender and personal identity. Aaron. What about someone who would be, let's say, special needs and is kind of confused and doesn't really know what to think, but yeah. has just been led in that way? So we speak of that as, as mental illness. That's a, that's a term that's very common today. Uh, and in, as we continue, let me, let me back up and say, and that's a very perceptive question. Once upon a time, the medical community regarded homosexuality as a form of mental illness. Now that's very offensive to say in our day. Um, I'm getting ready to talk about gender dysphoria. Once upon a time, if I said, I am a woman trapped in a man's body, if that was my real, considered, conviction, and sense, once upon a time, the medical community would say, that's a person that has some mental illness. We need to help them with that. But now, Aaron, instead of saying, there's something wrong with you, if you say either of these things, and God is willing to change you, and renew your mind in the truth of his word. Now if we say that, we're being uh, homophobic, transphobic. Because in our culture today, uh, those uh, self-assessments, I am gay, or I'm a man, a woman trapped in a man's body, those are legitimate, personal senses of identity. How would you handle... That some like someone who um, believes in homosexuality yet is special. Like, how would you handle that as a pastor? Yeah, that's a great question. A so, someone who has special needs. Uh, they are what is the word? They are neuro divergent. Divergent, something like that. Yeah, there are different 
carefully worded expressions for special needs. Uh, so I'd simply say that in this area, I uh, would deal with sin and grace the same way I would with any special needs person who I have to labor a little harder to make myself understand. Um, but here's the thing, Aaron. Uh, sin and grace uh, manifest themselves in all human beings, no matter what their mental capacities. So, if I'm a dad raising a special needs child, I may, be, I may find myself treating that special needs child differently than the rest of my kids, maybe showing a little more patience, a little more uh, uh, being more thorough, more careful, all kinds of ways that I'm accommodating their weakness. Oh, but I can tell when they're angry and just acting out, right? And that's going to re re receive the same kind of treatment as I give to the others. So pastorally, you were asking me the question about pastorally, I do not ever say that any kind of special needs, mental uh, limitations, is an excuse for sin. I never say that. But it does inform me how I pastorally deal with that person. I have to be more um, painstaking, more careful, more compassionate. Even. Does that make sense? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and so it would be you with a, a friend. I'm going to come back to an illustration if I have time um, of dealing with someone who really, really, really is convinced of this. Statement number two. It involves not just, and that might disgust you, that might make you upset, angry, but if you have a person in your life, and I think you will, sooner or later, who really is saying that, that calls first and foremost for compassion. I'll show you a video that I think will make you want to cry, if not cry. That's, that's, a, that's a real thing now. People are truly uh, convinced of that second statement on the board. So let's evaluate that now. Let's move to that. Sorry, did I miss a hand? Yes. Yes. I wanted to ask, for someone who does have homosexual Very fair question. Very fair question. Did you all hear the question? Someone's a sincere Christian. They uh, recognize that homosexuality from top to bottom, desire all the way to deed, is sinful, but will they ever be fully liberated from that? Uh, I think I'd have to say, by analogy or by comparison to other besetting sins, uh, they should seek that. They should pray for that. And God doesn't seem always to give it in his life. So, I, um, I, I, I trust that's not a, that, that final part is not a sellout. But I'm just thinking about the fact that um, uh, some men struggle with the sin of impatience till they And it's sin every time. And they have a sinful frame of heart. And I'm using this illustration because it's near and dear to me. And I want total victory over that. I want total victory over that. And I want God to give that to me. And I think he's given me a great deal of it. But I don't think my wife is struggling the same sins that I struggle with. And vice versa. And I've noticed pastorally that we all seem to have certain besetting sins. Uh, and God works mightily and for reasons that I'm not entirely sure. He's willing for some of us to struggle with those besetting sins to, to our grave. Um, do you know the name Rosaria Butterfield that I mentioned her last week? She might want to answer your question a little differently. I'm not sure. She's a former lesbian. <laughs> oh, I did mention her last week, that's right. Um, 
I think she would emphasize what I'm emphasizing. God can completely de- deliver you from that, and you should seek that. But when I am faced with somebody who says, yeah, I've been 25 years dealing with same-sex attraction, I don't immediately say, well, you must have done something wrong if you're not delivered from it. I don't, I don't rush to that conclusion. Uh, if, they, if, if they recognize, you know what, in an unfallen world, I would never, as a man, have sexual attraction to a man. And I know there's something broken about me. And I am seeking uh, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And I'm still struggling. I said, brother, join the crowd. That's where all of us are. Good question. All right. I am a man trapped in a woman's body. Or I am a woman trapped in a man's body. Guys, uh, there... I don't think that this would be seriously considered even 20 years ago, maybe even 15 years ago. I, it wasn't on my radar when I first started teaching ethics at Gray Friars. wasn't on my radar. Uh, but this is no joke. This is a real phenomenon. And my question is to you, how did we get here as a society? And more specifically... That's a huge, too big a question, right? What are the presuppositions that are hidden within that statement? Someone who actually sincerely says that, what are they uh, presupposing? I am a woman trapped in a man's body. So, uh, I'd say that they're believing that they that their mind defines what they are instead of their body. Excellent. Who's the real me in this statement? The person, the the mind. Okay. It's the immaterial part of you. Now, a lot of times people who say this don't believe in a soul. It's interesting. They actually just believe that we're bodies, chemicals, Etc. But they do have a sense of consciousness, and they typically have uh, a keen sense of feelings. Um, this person is suffering from what our society now calls gender dysphoria. Do you know this term? Uh, gender dysphoria uh, is the uh, state, it's a psychological state, uh, in which you have anything ranging from vague unease to dissatisfaction to outright depression, which can actually lead to suicidal thoughts, uh, when you think, I feel like a woman, but I have a man's anatomy, or vice versa. That's gender dysphoria. dysphoria with a Y. Uh, so guys, um, behind this, uh, Sylvan, you're exactly right, um, is the notion, I am what I feel, most fundamentally. Funda- uh, yes, go ahead, Dan. Yeah. More fundamentally to you, I am what I want to be, because there are men that okay. say they're women without ever getting any sort of Um, not only am I what I feel, you are what you feel, and we should recognize in each other not the physical package, but whatever you personally consider yourself to be, whatever you most have a sense of. So this is, a, this is the primacy of feelings gone crazy, right? Um, the implication of this is you are what you feel, or, thank you, Dana, you are what you want. That's even more basic. You are what you want. And conversely, uh, the implication of this uh, view is you are not your body. You are not your flesh and blood. 
you're not your anatomical package. That is not you. Not necessarily. Do you see those two? Uh, now, this is where, in our uh, society, uh, two things that have never been separated, I think I can say that pretty dogmatically, they've never been separated, have now been radically separated. Who got angry with the board? And, well, okay then. Thanks a lot, Aaron. You owe me a marker. <laughs> All right. That's why I got sick one on Wednesday. Is that right? Okay, these two words used to be the same, one of the same, or at least inseparable from each other. We'll say that. Now they are two different things in our culture. Uh, so sex is now made uh, reference to the fact that, yes, okay, everybody knows you look at humankind, you look at the animal kingdom, and people come in two kinds. There's male and female sex, male and female nature. Men, um, humans come with male anatomy or female anatomy. They, can, they come with a set of male chromosomes or female chromosomes. Guys, is it, this is kind of embarrassing that still I'm this old and I can't keep this straight. It's guys that have a Y chromosome? Yes. Okay, thank you. You've been studying this recently. Yeah, I know. I just can't keep it straight. It's There's something different about our chromosomes, right? And the guys have the extra... Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, so everybody acknowledges this. Actually, it's more like the girls have yeah. the extra little bit. Oh, little, there you go. Thank you. Words is more compact. Can you see why the board has not asked you to teach biology? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, it would, be, it would be a hoot, wouldn't it? All right, so everybody recognizes uh, there's male-female bodily structures. There's, broadly speaking, differing uh, things you can say about muscle mass, bone, obviously uh, genitalia and all this. That, that's sex. Gender, however, is a whole other thing. Okay. Gender is now what people, particularly communities of people, expect men and women to be like. That's why it's, gender is spoken of as a social construct. What does your culture think is appropriate for men to do? Well, your culture thinks that it's appropriate for men, uh, when they come to the world, little boys, to be dressed in blue. And when they come in the world as little girls, our culture says they should be dressed in pink. At least when you're having the gender reveal. Which is such a big deal these days. It's crazy. You know what a gender reveal party is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm sorry, is it a gender reveal party? Well, it's getting kind of complicated. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. So what is where yeah, right. Where where did we get the idea that pink is for girls and blue is for boys? Well, culture. Uh, where do we get the idea that men wear pants and women wear dresses? Well, that's also cultural. Uh, where do you uh, get the idea that uh, women have long hair, uh, men have short hair? That's cultural. And here's the thing. You may have one sex, but identify, in terms of how you feel, with the other gender. In terms of what the culture says. Uh, and so, in our day, uh, we're encouraged to not be submissive to our culture. You may have a male body, an objectively masculine body, but you could identify yourself and express yourself in ways that the culture regards as female. You could have a beard and wear lipstick. You could do both if you want to. Wouldn't it that in the hair. So then, I don't know. I've never tried it. <laughs> but my point, you understand my point. <laughs> this is why, um, as soon as you begin to separate these two things and say that you may have the sex of one particular 
uh, kind of human being, and identify with the opposite gender, well, that's only the beginning, right? Because that's a whole continuum, isn't it? You could actually identify with both genders. You could express your personal identity in the whole gamut, which is why our culture believes in something called gender neutral <coughs> fluidity. Do you know this term? Gender fluidity means that I'm not going to say I'm man or woman in terms of my gender. I'm somewhere in between. I'm some depends on the day. Okay? So this statement, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, that has been called gender dysphoria, and it only is made possible in a culture that has separated sex from gender. We're coming back to that uh, in just a moment. Uh, I'm curious to ask you at this point, have you encountered this personally? People you know. Okay. You might work at the local uh, subway with somebody. Um, and they are now talking, like it's um, taking over the country like wildfire, in terms of what they personally identify as. Um, uh, that leads us to my third statement on the board. I'm starting my gender transition today. You know by now, uh, this is something that our culture uh, has become very affirming of, very supportive of, something that our culture has celebrated, uh, and that is someone who has gender dysphoria who can't be okay with the uh, role that society assigned them at birth. By the way, in the past, the one who delivered you would put down on your birth certificate, boy or girl. You guys, it was fairly straightforward. Sort of not. That's not why he got paid the big bucks. <laughs> Let me just tell you. Anybody could see that, right? But your doctor put down boy or girl. That was the gender that you were assigned by your doctor, according to our culture now. But you may not want that gender assigned to you. You may want a different gender. So we uh, now live... like them wanting a different sex? Well, not necessarily. We'll talk here in a moment. Uh, gender transition, as someone pointed out earlier, looks like a whole range of things. But if you are not happy having a male body but, and then being expected to have a male gender, which is to say to express yourself in masculine ways, uh, you can begin to transition. Now guys, this is a phenomenon that has a wide range of expression in our culture. Uh, at the very least, someone who's transitioning, quote-unquote, uh, begins to talk about themselves in a new way. But at the very least. They come out, that's the expression, and if I were transitioning, I'd come out as a woman. I identify as a woman. I would probably change my name. Some names are more masculine, unmistakably masculine, than others. Some of them are more ambiguous. But if I had a, a very masculine name... If there weren't a lot of Nathans who were females, I might change my name. Um, I would probably begin to dress differently if I were transitioning. I would wear clothes of the opposite sex. Now, in some cases, uh, it's just kind of a hobby for me. I'm using myself as an example. Hope you are okay with that. In some cases, just a hobby for me, and I just, from time to time, like to identify with the other gender. I just cross-dress uh, for occasions. And that's a thing in our society. I want... Oh, this is so unpleasant to talk about. Um, I'm a drag queen on weekends. 
but during the week, I dress up like Bank of America and expects me to dress up, which is probably actually changing as well, given Bank of America who they are. Anyway, but guys, uh, those are all fairly, oh, what shall I say, that's, that's the low-hanging fruit in terms of what is possible for someone who wants to transition. At some point, it goes from not just the way I talk about myself, not the way I wear clothing and so on, but as you know by now, fascinatingly to me and tragically, someone who feels like they're trapped in the body of the opposite sex. And our culture is encouraged to begin to take steps to change their body. Now what's so puzzling to me about this, and I obviously look on this, in, on this from the outside, what's so puzzling to me about this is that I don't, I don't know why that even matters to someone who says, well, my gender and my body sexual identity in my body, are at odds. I honestly can't help you if you ask, well, why don't we just live with the, why don't we just start wearing women's clothes? But I think there's something in us, innately, that wants consistency. We want to align the way we feel and our desires with the way we're made. We want that. I think we want that. And that's where this comes from. Um, I've heard that you aren't allowed to get a tattoo until you're like of age without permission from your parents, but children can like get hormone treatments even though they're like yeah. short and well, young. You're, you're quite right. This is becoming... Quite a political cause, and for good reason. So think about it. If you want a different kind of body, if you have a male, an anatomically male body, and you want a female body, A, you need to start early. You need to start well before you're 18, if you want it to come off well. Have you seen trans individuals in the um, media that are amazingly opposite sex now? They've, in other words, the transition physically in terms of what you can see is astonishingly good. I can't remember the Dutch girl who started when she was pre-puberty to transition. Actually, it was a boy who transitioned to a girl. And uh, one of the ways that uh, this has become so hot an issue is that uh, everyone recognizes if you wait until after all of the normal cycle of hormones has does, does what it is supposed to do, by God's design, to the human body, making a man out of a boy or a woman out of a girl, if you start after that process, it's so much harder. Puberty is doing just that. It's making you into the man or the woman that God designed you to be. So that's why it's such a contentious issue, as Sullivan said. Um, those who want to be able to transition want to be able to do it before puberty begins, ideally. But the question is, does a 13-year-old have any business making a decision like this? So the first physical transition from just talking about myself and dressing is to begin to take drugs that inhibit your puberty and or direct your body in the opposite sex so that women grow facial hair, men grow breasts. It's remarkable. It is remarkable what chemical engineering I've actually seen in person, not even online, uh, of someone who was a woman um, and actually decided to, um, or said that she wanted to be a man. And we saw the process from like a year or two, yeah. and then we saw her again, and she looked like a completely different person. It's I mean, remarkable. Grown in, 
I mean, you wouldn't even recognize her. Grown man, facial hair, um, completely different body structure. It's it's actually really terrifying because you wouldn't even know if no one told you. So here's uh, here's the most brutal aspect of this reality. No matter how many hormones you flood your body with, pointing your system in the opposite direction, there's just certain parts of your anatomy that just are going to be there. And we are now in a world, a society specifically, where the medical establishment, certain parts of it, have devoted their ingenuity, ingenuity, their uh, sophistication, to helping young and old transition anatomically to the opposite sex. Guys, that looks like more than just cutting things off. It looks like reconstructing things in some of the most bizarre I saw something recently about this that was quite disturbing. Um, it was a biological man talking about how he wanted to get uh, a uterus, ovaries, um, and all of the parts to get pregnant so he could be the first right. trans man pregnant, but not so that he could give birth, but so that he could get, like, be the first trans person to get an abortion. So remember Romans 1, their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what this subject reminds us of. When someone who has been born and has matured uh, with the equipment, if I can put it that way, of God's wondrous invention that enable her to conceive a child, and then nourish that child at her breast, saying, I do not want those things. Those things violate my sense of personal identity. We have a medical community that will say, well, we can take those things away. And when a man says, I have something too that I don't want, the medical community says, we can take that away. I, I'm not really optimistic, by the way, that the medical community will ever be able to make a womb part of a man's body. But then again, I've been wrong on technical innovations before. Uh, this is the brave new world that we are uh, living in. Uh, I want us to have clear biblical thinking about it. And um, uh, the presuppositions behind this, I want to address biblically. Uh, I am, or this, I'm starting my gender transition today. Uh, that's someone saying something maybe on Snapchat or whatever, social media thing. Um, that person is presupposing, I get to choose my gender. I get to choose that. And I can conform my body to my feelings. Those are the presuppositions behind that statement. So I'm going to give you some guiding biblical principles. But Sullivan, I saw that hand. Um, I was going to ask, how far does the mind over body go? Like if someone decided that instead of simply that they were a different gender, that they were like not a human, like mm. they said they were like a cow, would they be supported? Or so like, a... they thought they were a rock. There are litter boxes in public schools that are being supported. <laughs> Say what? People... Kids identifying as animals and then public schools bringing like litter boxes. Litter what? For the kids to go there. Y'all did not know this? You would think that they would identify as fish since it's a school. That's not funny. Oh, that, 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 that was on its way to being funny though. Yeah. It got me. Because you're a dad. Mm. Like, he just doesn't have the kids yet. Dad humor. That was some great dad humor. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying out well. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, you're quite right. This view that I get to choose, I get to choose who I am, has absolutely asinine 
And yes, there are. There was a gentleman. I use the term ironically uh, in the uh, Biden administration, appointed for some high-profile role, who had a little weekend fetish where he identified as a dog. Uh, this is yeah. Okay, I don't need to say any more about that. Uh, so biblical principles number one uh, out of four. Biblical principles number one. Let's just get grounded in Genesis 127. God created the human race, male and female. Uh, what is missing in all of this dysphoria, all of this confusion, all of this chaos, is a biblical doctrine of creation. Our culture has no Genesis, as in the book of Genesis. God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Uh, he didn't just create humankind that way. He created all the animals, male and female, and it's God's design that there be something binary about mankind. You know the term, right? Uh, binary means there's two kinds. Our culture says, no, there's not just two genders. There's a whole range. But the scripture has from the uh, first chapter, a very binary view of what it's like to be human, male or female. Number two, biblical principle. Human identity is grounded in physical anatomy. Now, I do not say human identity equals physical anatomy. We are more than our bodies. But human identity is grounded in physical anatomy. Notice something. What part of Adam was created first? All of them. Thank you. Remember the sequence, Owen? Yeah, isn't that interesting? God created an anatomically correct Adam. I am sure this guy was a specimen. Perfect man. Physically. No soul yet, right? He created Adam. I don't know what you would call that, girls. Do you still call guys hunks? They are just <laughs> really... <laughs> a grandma term. I know, I You're know. That's why I asked. <laughs> no, we don't. So, don't tell me what you do, oh, guys. You are. My point is, God creates the first... Man, he's a flawless physical body, and then he imparts a soul to him. Adam's identity is not merely his body, but it's grounded in his body. His body has everything to do with who he is. Uh, Adam was both body and soul, and interestingly, body came first. Biblical principle number three. It's the creator that determines our sex and our gender. Not we, ourselves. It's the creator who decides this. It's God who decides this, people. Uh, we live in a godless society. There is no God, according to our society. So who determines who we are? Well, we have to determine who we are. This is radically idolatrous. Have you been counting the commandments that are in view here? This is the first commandment. Attributing to ourselves something that only God has the prerogative to do. God determines our gender. If you will, we've all been assigned our gender. And it wasn't a doctor. It was God. He assigns us our gender. I will pause to make a significant concession to something. And it's something very sad. It is a fact that there are birth deformities in this fallen world that are so radical that it is difficult and not impossible to determine the sex of a baby. That happens. Once upon a time, a little boy in my church uh, was born that way. 
ambiguous genitalia. That's, in a fallen world, something that is statistically a very small percentage of babies. Just like some babies don't uh, develop the womb with a full brain, it's called anencephalic um, development. Uh, they don't develop with any number of other parts of their body. In some cases, there are babies that develop in their mother's womb with both kinds of genitalia or some kind of mashup of the two. It's called intersectionality. Thank you. There was another word that's kind of gone out of vogue for it, but intersex is the new word. What word to now vogue? Mm. It's not took my tongue and I can't remember, sorry. I can't remember how to pronounce it. Um, do they not do like DNA testing to find the gender of the baby? Yeah, that tends to become uh, chromosomes tend to become the definitive, the one thing that's definitive. But I, I'm not, I can't claim to be familiar with, with this. So sometimes these will have an extra chromosome. Yeah, so sometimes there's, in this level of deformity, there's, there's pretty severe chromosomal disorder. Yeah. And guys, that, that's a matter that is a kind of one-off. That's not what this is. That's a statistically very small percentage of the population. But you should have that in the back of your mind. You never know. You never know. There could be someone in your life that has this that you don't, for obvious reasons, share much about. But that's how they came to the world. And that's very hard. And sometimes they have sought surgical remedies, sometimes just to be able to function in certain ways. Uh, and that's something that calls for a great deal of compassion. That's not what we're taking aim at in terms of a sinful disorder in our culture. So that's my little aside to try to make a, a, a point about that. Gender, uh, sorry, biblical principle number four. This is the one that's much bigger, involves a lot of profitable discussion, and it is this. Gender roles in culture should be patterned after biblical roles for men and women. Gender roles in a culture should be patterned after the biblical roles of men and women. So guys, every culture has, over time, come to have certain expectations of how men act and how women act. Cultures are not infallible, duh. Those can be pretty bad. Like if you have a culture that says the men sit around and drink all the time unless it's time for war, and then they go off and kill other men, and then they come back, and otherwise the women do all the work. That's a culture that needs some Christianity, right? There's some things that are disordered there. Uh, some cultures have the view uh, that the men run things in society and the women run things at home. Okay. Well, you could say, there's, hmm, that's interesting. Compare that to the, the well, actually, women have, a, in the Bible, women have a vital role in society and actually in the home, men are to be heads of their household. So maybe that's not exactly right either, you see? We're to be critics of our culture, in other words. And here's my one concession to all these people. My one concession. Cultures are fallen, and their norms for gender can be critiqued. They can. They should. They can be critiqued. If uh, the culture says... Education is only for men. I'd like to critique that culture. I'd like to say there's something not Christian about that view. And I have a lot of things I could say about that. Um, or if a culture says women uh, should be just as responsible 
uh, to go into combat on behalf of the nation as men. That's not theoretical. I say that's a culture that needs Christianity. I want to critique that. So we recognize that there is a way that a culture says to all of us, this is how you should express your masculinity, this is how you should express your femininity, and what the culture says is important but not ultimate. Why do I say it's even important? Well, for this reason. If a culture has determined over time, etc., uh, say that... Uh, let's say that uh, men never dress this way and women never dress this way. And let's say for the sake of discussion that um, um, those two things are not found anywhere in the Bible. The Christian should be respectful of what the culture he's living in, stipulates. Uh, in other words, he should not be the kind of person that says, it's not in the Bible, so I can wear a dress. You see what I'm doing? Uh, turning your Bibles to Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. We need to stand in critique of our culture when our culture is... Uh, being unbiblical in the way they place expectations on us as men and women. And we should be submissive to our culture and its norms, where the culture actually does uphold differences between men and women. Now, what does Deuteronomy 22.5 say? Mateo, do you have that? A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. Whoever does these things is an abomination. Okay, cross-dressing, an abomination according to the Bible. That, remember the word, how strong a word that is? So, what, do you think in this context he's meaning um, identify as one and express themselves as one, it's just as if they were one, and that is what is an it's abomination? Because I may have dressed... One of my brothers <laughs> up when I was younger, yeah, yeah. and they were yeah. did not stand a chance. <laughs> yeah, that's what older sisters can do with little brothers. <laughs> they can dress them like dolls. <laughs> okay, anybody else want to confess uh, to any imposition of cross-dressing on your sibling? Don't want any of that stuff. Interestingly, Dana, it doesn't have any reference to identification or how you see yourself. It just, what, what does it say again? Guys, don't, you, you may not dress like women. You may not, more specifically, you may not put on women's clothes, right? Isn't that what it says? And vice versa. Now, it doesn't tell us what a woman's clothes, what, what women's clothing look like and what men's clothing look like, does it? It doesn't tell us that, does it? Well, who would who would define that then? I mean, men's clothes in Deuteronomy versus women's clothes, they probably kind of look the same to us from our Western standpoint because they both kind of look dress-like, uh, like robes, right? But they had a way of distinguishing between men's garments and women's garments, apparently, in Moses' day, yes? And God says, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't switch your clothes. Don't blur the lines between your sexes and the way you express them in culture. I see obedience to that principle as requiring a Christian to say, what is a distinctly masculine way to dress? I'll be sure I dress that way. According to my culture. What is a distinctly feminine way to dress? I'll be sure that I dress this way. I will not... Um, Leaving aside for the moment games that we play in the privacy of our home with our brothers and sisters, because some of that might have happened in my family. <laughs> Just saying, there might be video evidence of it. Because <laughs> there is an older sister in my home. My, uh, I'm talking about the home that I'm at. We're all tyrants. Yeah, all right. Aside from those things, 
uh, what God is saying is don't express yourself in ways that your culture sees as masculine if you're a woman. Don't express your, vice versa, you can tell. Don't do that. Now guess what, guys? We live in a culture that as it goes down that toilet bowl that I put on the board yesterday, uh, doing that last Friday, we're doing our very best to blur the line, aren't we? It's been interesting. It's been it's been it's been happening over a long period of time. Um, back when I was your age, much much younger, uh, we used to talk about uh, women who got butch haircuts. That's still a term. My dad uses that term. Does he use that term? Uh, yeah, terms change, but it it typically is what the vanguard of the lesbian movement did. They wanted hair like his. See that guy right back there in the back of the class? You mean Timothy or Aaron? <laughs> I was referring to Timothy. So a butch haircut was a, a, a woman with a man's haircut, at least what the culture saw as a man's haircut. I could do this in the reverse, too, couldn't I? There was a time when it was considered effeminate for men to have long hair. No, not because that's in the Bible somewhere uh, in terms of length. It is actually in the Bible in 1 Corinthians. But there's not a, a, an inch rule, right? It's relative. It's relative to women, yes? There was a time when it was absolutely scandalous for a woman to put on a pair of pants. Because that was... First of all, immodest, the society uh, held. Ladies, you might know something of that subject by now if you're listening on a podcast. Once upon a time, a woman put on a pair of pants was not only immodest, but it was just masculine. Uh, nowadays, I see uh, in nice restaurants, servers, they're not called waiters or waitresses anymore, right? It's too binary. Servers, who sure look like women, I think they are women, who come with coat and tie type apparel, somewhat modified, but it's menswear. I said waitresses used to wear. Cute Skirts. frilly stuff with a ton of pencils. I'm sorry? Cute frilly stuff with a ton of pencils. Like how we never seen Our culture is doing its best to blur the line between men and women in the way they present themselves in our day. Now guys, I think there's all kinds of legitimate questions. I'm not personally opposed, just so you know, uh, to women who wear modest pants. I think there are things as modest pants for women. Uh, our culture is moving. However, there are feminine pants and there are masculine pants. I think that still remains. Um, when our culture begins, by the way, it's usually gone the other, it's gone one way, typically. Up until recently. It's gone women dressing like men. That's where the traffic has run. Until recently. Oh, ho, ho. and now it's all in. It's all swim. <laughs> uh, men wanting to dress like women. Uh, showing up at head of state meetings. I'm thinking of that one Biden appointee. Um, guys, uh, I think this is the wrong time for Christians to be getting, uh, how shall I say it, legalistic uh, and saying, well, as long as the Bible doesn't actually say something about it, it's just as appropriate for men to wear uh, dresses as uh, uh, women. I think this is the time for the church to say, in light of all the chaos, our men are going to dress like men, unmistakably, Masculine. And our women are going to be, they're going to present themselves unmistakably feminine. I think that's the way we, we need to push back right now in our culture. And I'll just say what that rule that you probably won't see mo many other places uh, than Greyfriars. Uh, men wear nice pants, women wear skirts or dresses. Uh, that is in part 
not because we believe that that's the only way that godly men and women can dress. Uh, they can wear shorts. They can wear, women can wear pants. But because we want unmistakable masculinity and unmistakable femininity in this learning environment. We want to push hard against our culture in this area. So guys, here are the ethical issues as I run out, run out of time and opportunity for my video because we're out, almost out of time. Uh, you've already seen um, that something that has come to be um, almost as in, uh, as, uh, what shall I say, uh, as heinous in the eyes of conservatives in our country as abortion uh, is the transgender surgery. We've already seen that. I have a video I was going to show you of um, a woman who had transitioned and then detransitioned. Perhaps you've seen some of these videos. Uh, you can look up the woman Chloe Cole. She's probably the most famous now of a detransitioner. Uh, Chloe Cole was 15 in the San Francisco, California area when a surgeon removed her breasts. Double mastectomy because she was in this transitioning and she had come to the place where she was ashamed of her female anatomy. She wanted to be rid of it. And at 15 years old, a doctor performed a double mastectomy. She says in this video, among all the things that began to give her regrets, she says she saw, or she took a class in developmental psychology, and she learned in that class uh, as a high schooler. Again, she's in high school when she has her breast removed. She learned that class that physical touch involved in the breastfeeding process between a mother and a child has life Have you heard this before, guys? It's a thing. Oxy it's Oxy real. Yeah. It's <laughs> real. When my mother was raising us, the doctors preferred that you be on some kind of formula. Uh, nowadays, even all doctors realize you can't you can't beat nature. And this poor girl trying to be a man learned about breastfeeding and the blessing of it. And that turned a switch in her mind. She said, what have I done to myself? She had actually become a very vocal um, activist, as they're called now, campaigning against surgery on minors. And by the way, I think this is where the trans movement is going to hit the rocks. They're going to be dashed against the rocks because one thing we have in our culture is a litigious impulse. That's typically bad. But I think surgeons, in the day coming, I think surgeons who perform surgery, certainly on minors, but even on 18, 19 year olds, are going to have their socks sued off of them. And I think this is actually going to be a turning point to this. I'm actually optimistic about that. Um, that's something that is in our culture and probably doesn't affect us every day. Here's what's going to affect you every day in our culture. It's a profound ethical question, and I'd love one of you to write your senior thesis on it. You have someone who's transitioned there at the office. They have a new name. They want you to call them, and they have new pronouns. They insist that you use in referring to them. So John has become Jane. Whatever level of process he went through to do that. John has become Jane. Are you able morally, A, to call John Jane, and B, I think far more significantly, to speak of John as her? You work for Bank of America, you better toe the line and call John, Jane, and refer to her. You better. You'll be fired. But my question to you, this would be a great senior thesis topic. Did I mention that already? 
Is that keeping the Ninth Commandment? Are you bearing false witness when you call someone God made a man a woman? Do I seem to be leading the jury a little here? Guys, I think we have a Ninth Commandment crisis in those situations. And I think this may be one of those places where Christians are going to have uh, an ethical framework that readies them for the possibility of losing your job. There's a lot of things you can get fired over nowadays. And you you should be willing to be fired over. But I think this is one of those cases. I remember my uh, daughter, uh, last two minutes, my daughter telling me that uh, in one of those um, informal settings, she was at Oxford at the time, and the professor was a woman, and identified as a woman, of all things, and she said, I just want to go around the room and introduce everybody, uh, have you introduce yourself and uh, give your name and your preferred pronouns. Now, at one level, that's simple, right? Eddie, he, him. Next, right? That would be simple. But think about it. What was that woman, that professor? And she was actually trying to be very accommodating. So what was she saying when she invited you to give your preferred pronoun? What was she saying? You get to decide. Remember, Allie was uh, Mrs. Trust. Miss Trust, sorry. Uh, Was, she was thinking, you know what? I I can't just say Allie, her, she. Because I reject the premise. Wouldn't it be she, her, not her? She, her. Yeah, whatever. Her, she. Her, she. Yeah. I reject the premise. I feel like I'm participating in a lie to sit in this room and say, oh, I identify as a woman. You ident- I don't want to participate in the lie. You see? I'm not legislating on this just now, brothers and sisters. But I think we have some careful thinking to do. And I was talking about it. By the time uh, it came around, Allie just said, I'm, my name is Allie. And no one called her out on what's your preferred pronoun. <laughs> um, but... I said, I was thinking out loud, and I said, Allie, what if you said, I think, I think Christians are going to need to have one-liners like this. What if you said, my name is Allie. God made me a woman. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be very polite. It'd probably get you in trouble. But it would certainly be telling the truth, wouldn't it? All right, think about that in your senior year as you uh, make a decision about your senior thesis. Guys, uh, thanks for helping me out in this uh, lecture that I'm still working on.